Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories of encounters with God. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Katie and Lindy. And today we have Alana's story. And Alana, she's from Boise, Idaho, but as you will hear in her story, she's a military wife and she's lived in Hawaii. (laughs) So I caught her attention. Jealous. But I actually know Alana just from the podcasting world. We've we've met in different areas, and you'll hear her talk a little bit about that. Her story's so relatable. I just think it is for so many people listening today. You're just mm-hmm. going to be able to relate to it because a lot of it is about as women, we want to serve God. You know, we really strive to serve Him. But if we're honest with ourselves, we want Him to serve us in return, don't we? <laughs> right. We want to have an easy, good life. And when life does not turn out easy and good, what do we do with that? She's very honest about what she does with it and how God brought her to a place of saying, do I have your attention now? <laughs> right. <laughs> and so here is Elena's story. Before Alana's story today, we do want to give you a friendly reminder that Discover Your Story, which is our Bible study, is on sale for $12. It's normally $15. So we are having a spring sale now through March 17th. And as you know, Discover Your Story is an eight-week Bible study that has taken eight of our podcasts and tied them directly to scripture, small group discussion, and prayer prompts. And I was talking to somebody the other day, and they actually reminded me, they said, you know what? I did this all by myself and got as much out of it. So you don't have to be in a small group. You can order it for yourself or for a friend. That's right. So if you're interested in ordering Discover Your Story, you can go to our website. That's storytellerslive.org forward slash shop. Or you can go to our Instagram account at Storytellers Live Podcast. And there's a link in our bio there. Uh, You can look in our show notes. It is all over the place. So you'll be able to find it easily. So go ahead and order that today. Find a group or do it on your own. Well, I am so delighted to be joining you all here today. My name is Alana Dawson. I'm a podcast editor and coach. I'm a mama of two girls and one very, very naughty French bulldog. He is locked away, so we should not hear him in this recording at all today. I'm also a military spouse. My husband has been in the military for almost 20 years. We're about ready to retire, which will be a big change and transition for our family, but we're very excited for the next chapter in our life. And I'm so excited to share with you today. So like many of you probably listening, I was raised in a church with a very loving, faith-filled family. I attended youth group. I had a heart for the Lord. I went to summer camp and you know, all the things that a quote unquote normal uh, girl growing up in a church would do. But my view of God was very much, I saw him as if I checked all of the boxes, then life would be really good, right? If I did the right things, then just naturally my life would be easygoing and what I want it to. And then I grew up, right? We all do. Then I grew up and a lot of things challenged that my view of God. So our my story that I want to share today really starts in 2013. Um, my husband was getting ready for a really big deployment. He was going to be gone for six months. He's a submarine officer. And so when they go underway, we don't have very little communication, sometimes an email sometimes maybe a phone call if they port, uh, but very rarely did I hear from him. So we were leading up to this very large deployment and military spouses kept trying to encourage me, but they would say things like, just fill your schedule as tight as you can and get through it. And I didn't want to get through it. I wanted that time for him and for me to both be a really sweet time 
And I didn't just want to survive. I wanted to thrive. And so writing has always been something that I've done. That's what my degree is. And so I started a blog, right? That's what we did back then. 2013, I started a blog and I started writing to military spouses. And for the first time in my life, I felt this partnership with God. I felt like this work I was doing to encourage other military spouses and women, I really felt like it was what I was called to do. And and God blessed that and it grew and I enjoyed it so, so much. And so that deployment, funny enough, turned in from six months to eight and a half months. And towards the end of the deployment, we found out that we had to PCS. That in in, uh, non-military terms, that means we had to move. So we had to move and we had to move without my husband. He was going to be bringing the boat, the submarine to meet us in our new duty station, which was Hawaii. We were leaving San Diego to go to Hawaii. And I have always said, if I had to leave San Diego, at least it was for Hawaii somewhere else hot. So we were okay with that. So we made the move with our family to Hawaii. And I did what, you know, what we were supposed to do, what we're, and I say that in quotation marks, supposed to do. We found a new church. I got involved in the new church, got my girls registered who were, they were six and nine at the time, registered in a new school. I volunteered at the new school. What's crazy is that I volunteered and they didn't have room in each of their classrooms because it's mid-year at this point. But they said, hey, we have this position over here in this other room. And could you help us there? And so I said, sure, right? Because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to serve. We're supposed to help. And I did it very, very well, (laughs) too well at times. And so got settled in, got involved in more spouses events, planned things, checked all the, I was checking all the boxes, right? Because that's what we're supposed to do. So in April of that year, after we had moved, I found out that I was pregnant and I was ecstatic. It wasn't necessarily anything we were planning, but, and like I said, my girls were older, they were six and nine at the time, but we couldn't have been more thrilled. And we were so happy for this baby to join our family. We told the girls, We told our families, we announced it, the command that my husband was a part of, we announced it to our friends, and we were just so excited to plan for what this would look like as we were having a baby join our family. And I went to my first appointment, as many of us do, it it was a little later along than my other two pregnancies because I I wasn't planning to get pregnant. (laughs) And I showed up and my husband was at work, so I was all by myself, uh, which is normal for, for military And the ultrasound, um, they turned it on. I still remember that moment that there was no heartbeat. And I was devastated. I didn't expect it. Um, I didn't have very many friends who had had miscarriages or so I thought. And it just wasn't something that was ever, that I ever thought would happen to me or someone close to me. It turns out that a lot of my friends had had miscarriages after I had said that I had one. And I was so angry with God. I just couldn't understand after all of this time doing the right things and checking the boxes and volunteering and giving of our time and money of being a good, I'm using quotations again, good family, a good woman, a good wife, a good friend, why he would allow me to walk through and suffer this loss. And that kind of catapulted me into a lot of questioning, as I think it does for a lot of women. Um, I felt so alone. There were so many other women who also were pregnant at the time, both in the command and some friends of mine, who their pregnancies were fine and they get to walk through. And of course, I would never want any woman to suffer that. But for me, it was devastated, devastating to continue on with my normal life and see these other women around me 
whose babies continued to thrive and grow. I had a lot of health and complications and issues from a fallout from that, from that miscarriage. And so as I was dealing with that, it just felt like a constant reminder every day of the loss that I had felt and went through. I remember one particular time I was standing in Target waiting for another prescription and I looked around and there was a mom helping her daughter pick out a present for a birthday party. There was an elderly gentleman next to me with a carton of milk and it just like hit me in the gut that all around me life went on. And here I was still reminded with this loss and this suffering and I just, I just couldn't understand. And so I, because I was so angry with God, I stopped writing. I stopped blogging. I'll be really candid. I I felt like, why should I continue to honor the work that we were doing together if he allowed me to lose my child? And I was mad. I mean, I can remember taking my girls to school and dropping them off and coming home and getting in the shower and turning on the radio as loud as I could because we lived in town and and just screaming in the shower, just so angry and raw during this time. And it lessened like it does. It lessened as I moved on and I dealt with some of it, but I didn't deal with all of it. It was a really hard few months, probably the darkest I've ever walked through. And someone sent me Ray Steadman's Let God Be God. It's a book about the book of Job. And there was this quote that will forever stick with me. And in it, it says, for God does not exist for man, but man. And I just remember having this moment of like, man, I want to believe God. Everything I know about you says that you're good. And I want to believe that. But how do I reconcile that with what I've walked through? And so on some level, I realized that God didn't want to harm me and that I may never understand why I had to go through this and why I had to walk through this pain. But to be completely honest with you, I didn't go any further than that. It was just a thought. I didn't change anything I was doing. I didn't dial back. In fact, if if anything, after the miscarriage, I poured myself into more things. I volunteered for more things. I did more. The only thing I stopped doing was writing. And so fast forward, this was in the spring that this happened. And so walked through all the summer months and into the fall. And a couple days after Christmas, December of 2015, I woke up in our bedroom in tons of pain. I was sweating profusely. I couldn't feel the left side of my body. Um, My heart rate was through the roof. uh, And I thought, well, this is so weird. I got out of bed. I was very dizzy. I made my way down into our living room and we had kind of a step down into our, our main living area. And as I took those, there's only three steps there. I took those three steps and I felt like I had run a marathon. And I thought I had this moment of like, okay, if I go down to the couch, because I thought maybe changing position would help. I don't know. I'm in my thirties. I didn't know anymore. What? <laughs> like, I just knew that this wasn't right. And I also knew that if I didn't get back up those stairs and get my husband, that I may not be able to wake him up. That's how, in how much pain I was. And so I made my way back in and woke him up. My husband's name is Jeremy. And somehow Jeremy got me and both of our girls into the car and rushed me to the local emergency room. And as I, as soon as I walked in, they got me in a wheelchair and they were wheeling me, you know, backwards through the double doors. And I could see Jeremy and on either side of him was my daughters and they were still rosy cheek from sleep. I mean, he just woke them up and they were still in their pajamas and wheeling me back 
not realizing, like I had, I had this thought of like, oh my goodness, what if this is the last time I see them? But then at the same time, like, oh no, I'll be okay. Like trying to reassure myself. And it turns out that they brought me in, they did some tests and turns out I had multiple pulmonary emboli, which is blood clots in my lungs. i had had a deep vein thrombosis in my leg that had broke free and traveled to my lungs. And so my brain wasn't getting enough oxygen. And if those break loose, it can cause a stroke. And so they couldn't treat me in that local. We lived on the east side of the island and I needed to be transported to Honolulu to a bigger a bigger hospital. And so they strapped me into a gurney and they put me in the ambulance and rushed me to this larger hospital. And I remember getting pushed onto the floor and looking around and and they brought me into the ICU. And I kept thinking, what what in the world are they doing? I do not need to be in the ICU. And it was kind of like a semicircle and they had to bring me all the way around one side to my room, which was on the other side. And each room we passed by, these people were sick. They were sick. And as they wheeled me in, God's, and I could hear him, obviously not audibly, we all hear God differently, but I heard him speak to me that said, do I have your attention now? And I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. And it brings the verse in Revelation 3.15 to mind that says, you know, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. Uh, In the message, it says, you're stale and stagnant and you make me want to vomit. And I realized that's what I was. Here I was checking these boxes, trying to do the best I could because I thought that that would lead me to a good life, that that would give me the things that I wanted. And so that night, cold, alone, in a ton of pain, my husband got to come see me for an hour. I couldn't see my girls. Uh, They gave me a clot buster. They didn't know if they could break the clot that night. I was on um, 24-hour monitors, making sure that the clots didn't travel to my brain. It was super scary. And so I just remember crying out to God and pleading with him, like, if you give me another chance, I promise I'll do it right this time. I promise I'll make it matter. And that, like, not many people get that opportunity to, like, reflect on your life and go, wow, what what am I leaving behind? What, What have I taught my kids? What will they remember about me? And I just knew that my girls would remember that I ran the rat race and I ran it really, really well. And I wanted them to remember more. And so thankfully, by God's grace, you know, I I walked in to that hospital thinking about that God was someone to be bartered and bargained with to get what I wanted. And I left knowing his grace and kindness. So I went home and I realigned all my priorities. I couldn't uh, because of my recovery I was in. I had to lay in our recliner chair. I was in so much pain. And so I had to, um, I just had to sleep there and, and lay there. And so I didn't have much I could do except for play with the girls and chat with them. And we watched movies. And uh, luckily the timing, my parents were coming to visit. And so they got to be there and help. But I literally took my agenda and my checkbook and I started X and stuff out. And if it didn't align with my priorities, if it didn't align with what I felt God was telling me and putting the call in my heart, I literally, I said, no, I quit almost everything. I joke that I'm a PTA dropout, but I really am. <laughs> it's been five years and I've only volunteered in my girl's classroom once since. <laughs> um, and I'm a great mom. And I can say that with confidence, even if I don't volunteer in their classroom. Somebody out there listening needs to hear that today. And I started writing again. 
So one of my favorite books is Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And I pull it out every January and I read through it. And I remind myself of how important that creativity is. I started blogging again. And and then that led to a podcast. And that podcast led to women asking me to help them start podcasts. And now that's what I do. I run a small boutique podcast editing and production agency. And I coach women in a membership community to start and grow their podcasts. We found out not long after my pulmonary embolism through some tests and things that I actually have three genetic clotting disorders that I inherited and that most women who have this trifecta uh, struggle with infertility and getting pregnant and staying pregnant. And one day I was in with my hematologist early on and, and we were talking about all the different things I needed to do and medications to take. And he when he heard I had two daughters, nine and six, he was like in awe. And he's, he looked at me straight in the face. I even remember he, he grabbed me and he said, do you realize that your children are miracles? And so even when I didn't know it, God was so good to me. He was so good to me. And so my story is one of redemption and grace and mercy. I don't deserve all he's given to me. And I could never earn it, no matter how many boxes I checked or how many volunteer organizations that I spent my time in. I could never do that. But he did. And he can. And so I guess what I want women listening to know is that God loves you. Like He is a good, good, good God. And he didn't cause whatever hurt and pain you're going through today. I can tell you that much whatever you're holding on to, but he can use it for good. I think the bigger question that lies is, will you let him? Will you let him use it? And it's not easy. I don't want to sit here and think, you know, have anybody think that like, it doesn't hurt anymore. Just the other day, I was watching a show and there was a scene with a miscarriage And I started crying and my girls were there. And that's the one thing I've been very open with them. And my younger daughter came up to me and she said, mommy, why are you crying? And I said, well, you know, I'm watching this. And she said, does that make you think about the baby we lost? I said, yeah, it does. So I don't want anybody listening to think that it doesn't hurt. And then I still don't have days where I wonder why. What I do know is that instead of a baby, I've got to nurture and grow a business that helps women just like you do, Robin. With this podcast, it helps women get their stories and their messages out into the world. And that's a pretty awesome responsibility. That's a pretty cool thing to get to do. And so as I finish, I just, the Lord prompted me to write a prayer for one of you listening today. And so I'm going to read that. Lord, I just pray for the woman listening today who, who is angry at you, just like I was, who is crying out, to the woman who is lukewarm and stagnant and stale, to the woman who wants to believe that you're good, Lord, because you are, but she has been through so much and has been hurt so badly and is in so much pain. And so, Jesus, I just ask that you would come close to her today, that you would let her feel your love and your presence. And Lord, I just pray that you would give her the strength and the confidence to allow you to use her pain. In the name I pray, amen. Man, what a sweet prayer that Alana ended with. And and we just want to thank her for sharing, just like we said in the beginning, just her realness 
for story. I really appreciated her perspective in this. Right. Because it wasn't just I'm trying to do good for the sake of good mm-hmm. because, yes, I need to check the boxes. But her expectation so that God will give yes. back good, that just made me pause a little yeah. bit. What makes you think? Like, I don't know that I have anyone that's actually said it that way. Yes. And I go, oh, what are my motives? Mm-hmm. Really, really causes you to pause and think. Because I don't think any of us would just say that. Right. But you got to dig deep at your motives. Yeah. Right. right. I know that when my father passed away, which it's been eight years ago now, I was so angry at God. I mean, I was just like, just the circumstances that surrounded it. And I can remember thinking, you know, I'm doing all these things for you. I'm leading Bible studies. I'm writing Bible studies. Why, why would you allow him to pass away that way? Mm-hmm. And it really, I struggled with it for months. I mean, it kind of went into a little bit of a depression over it, mm-hmm. but it did draw me closer to him in a weird way because I was so dependent on him mm-hmm. in those moments of despair because my husband couldn't help me. You know, my friends yeah. couldn't help me. And I learned so much through it. And so what Alana was saying as far as, you know, God can use your pain for good, right. but mm-hmm. you have to allow him to. I had to put myself in a position to be like, okay, God, you know, your, your word tells me that you work all things for yes. good. And so I'm going to trust that. And that good really, I mean, you know, a lot of times we think it's, we're going to be blessed through it. We're going to be blessed because we're going to be conformed to the image of, of yeah. his son. Yes. And I think we've called it in this setting before the privilege of suffering. Yeah. Yes, there's the pain of suffering, but it it is a privilege because it's what we're called to, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, hate to tell you, hate yeah. to spoil it, but I mean, we're we no are, more like Jesus than when we're suffering. Yes, yes, yeah. because we are so drawn to him. Another thing that hit me between the eyes is when she said, you know, I just kind of paused and thought, what will my girls remember me? Her answer was that she ran the rat race well. And I thought, oh, that was me in my Mm thirties running the rat race. Well, like, wow, my mom's always on the phone. She's always (laughs) stressed out. She always has something else to do. If you're in that life phase, Mm -hmm. pause right now and think, "Hmm, what, what will my children remember? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we have one of those days today. (laughs) Somebody comes home and we, we have this appointment and then there's a ball game and there's a practice somewhere else Mm -hmm. at the same time and dinner's going to fall somewhere. And don't be late. Don't be late. Don't be late. Like, you know, right. Yeah. But, but she came to the place, Alana came to the place of just, you know, this is about my relationship with mm-hmm. God. And it's really not about an expectation. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. he doesn't expect us to check off any box to serve him mm-hmm. for his love and his faithfulness. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's free. It's a gift. That's why it's called grace. Yes. Yeah. yeah her I really appreciated her kind of before and after view of God mm-hmm. that he, he went from a, a rules and check the boxes to a we we talk about it often going from religion to relationship and when you walk in relationship all of that all that falls away right there's there's no expectations other than love yeah. and her epiphany at the end that her children you know her children of course are miracles and she knew that but just mm-hmm. god was working on her behalf all along. And that's another thing that we all come back to is God is always working yeah. on our behalf, even in the suffering, even when we don't see him, even when we don't feel him, even when we're angry that's with right. him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thanks so much for listening. If Alana's story spoke to you, reach out and let us know. You know we've been getting emails lately. 
of how stories spoke to you. And I cannot tell you how much we love them. Our whole team reads them. We Mm -hmm. cry regularly. (laughs) We're amazed constantly at how God continues to use stories. And our storytellers really love the feedback. They want to know how God has used what they've walked Mm -hmm. through to speak to you. So let us know. And share it. Share it with a friend today. That's the best way to spread the word about Storytellers Live is to share our podcast. Yes. And so thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Bye.